thank you uh, for letting me join. Um, I have a, an interesting uh, word that's not often discussed much, but <clears throat> in light of what we're talking about and our, our friend who just shared with us a moment ago in this evening on government and clearly the fact that we're here now uh, in 2020, uh, which happens to be uh, a wonderful uh, presidential election year. There's one word that if all of you had uh, been listening to news media and feeds for the last several months, I don't care if it was 70 years, there's a word that you would not have heard much at all about. And that's why I used it in the title for today. It's called statesmanship. And one of the things that I think most about is we've seen since the 70s, clearly through the 80s, there's been an enormous rise of publications and research and doctoral studies and entire schools, colleges, universities, corporations spending hundreds and billions of dollars investing in leadership, leadership development, the study of servant leadership, transformational leadership. We could go on for the next 30 minutes talking about all that's been written and the volumes of books that are there. And I'm gonna be a little bit, mm, I might be a lot mm, on the edge here, so help me. John's already laughing, thank you, John. I'm really not all that sure what it got us, but I can see the fruit of where we are. There's something very interesting and I wanna point out a couple of things and I love all of you being here because I know you, uh, you love the word and you love scripture and you've memorized a lot of it. So I'm not gonna read extensively through it, but I wanna just highlight a few things for our benefit. Absolutely, the ministry that I'm part of is JAMA Global, which stands for Jesus Awakening Movement for America. And you can go to jamaglobal.com to learn more about it. But the point of the reference is that the core verse of our heartbeat, which is why I so appreciate all of you, is 2 Chronicles 7.14. And you've all memorized it. One of the other parts that I love is when you start looking at what this drawing out of Father's heart is, you start to recognize there's a distinction between leadership and statesmanship. And I'm just gonna point and highlight a couple things because I really do sense that if we are called to be a holy and a royal priesthood, if we're to be a part of uh, our father's um, sons and daughters, who is clearly a king, a king of kings and lord of lords. There's something distinct and different in the attitude and in the approach, and ought to also be in our spiritual awareness of how we entertain, how we engage, and even how we're equipping both ourselves and this next generation. And to that point is where I think we have failed to grab hold of the fullness of what Father has and the imagination that he's wanted us to see his perspective through his lens toward what he's actually doing. Because we all know that what the government is that rests on his shoulders is the total authority and the full power and weight of making and changing whatever it is that needs to be done on earth as it is in heaven. As long as we're aligned and we're in agreement, the two things that I reflect on most about are being aligned with his word 
And it also comes into being agreement with one another, but it also requires an agreement with his will. So it requires the word and his will, we know, to do the work that he's entrusted and given us to do. In alignment with his word, in agreement with his will, so that we can do the work that he's called us to do. When I think about, I wanna pause and go over to Nehemiah. And I love this portion of scripture because again, you look at, I just lost him. I didn't lose Nehemiah but I know he's here. Uh, this first portion that we're looking at is really just in the first chapter. And he says, in the month of Kislev in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hen and I and one of, my, one of my brothers came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. Remember the word remnant, because we're going to touch on that in just a moment. They said to me, those who survived the exile are back in the province, are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Then I said, and this part where Nehemiah prays, many of you already know this and, and recall this, but there's some facets of really clearly what Nehemiah prays, which is so very clearly distinct to what also Daniel prays. Daniel's prayer, he says, uh, I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed, O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with all who love him and obey his commands. And then he goes on and confesses the sins of him and his father and his people. And in a like manner, you look at Nehemiah's prayer, and it's beautifully written out for us. And he says, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. And so in that sense, what I'm seeing this distinction of between looking at a sense of what it is to be a leader in the world, but to look at a sense of what, it, what is required of us in whatever sphere of life and work and place you are and wherever God's placed you, is to have that kind of prayer in that spirit that really demands a sense, what I like to say, to be more distinct, to be a statesman, a statesperson, which really is bringing together the sense of kingdom. It's the sense of, yes, true intercession, because your heart, like Jesus's heart, is weeping. It's broken, and it's really rendered because you look at what's going on around God's people and what's happening in community, and you sense that there's just such deep darkness and depravity of things that are going on. And it literally compels you, it forces you, convicts you to simply cry out to God 
and to say, Lord, what would you have me to do? And in the same sense, you look at others like Moses, who when the situation evolved and there he was with Aaron and going up and down the mountain. I mean, talk about getting your steps in. I'm just being funny. But as he's going up and down the mountain and he comes down and he sees that Aaron had created this golden calf and they're celebrating. We recognize that when he goes back to plead before the Lord, he literally says in that sense, God, save your people for your name's sake. But if you need to blot out my name from your book. That's not a leader. I just want to make a really simple point for us today as we process and pray through this, because you're hearing a lot of wonderful things from so many friends today. But there's a very clear, distinct cry that I want to just elevate for a moment. The prayer from Moses, the prayer from Daniel, the prayer from Nehemiah. We are here because we're involved and engaged in 10 days of prayer. We're going to do this, God willing, in the fall, and we're going to spend time to consecrate ourselves and being called to that time of prayer and fasting. This is the kind of movement that we need to be thinking of, the heart posture that we need to be aware and attentive to, because it's not just any kind of prayer that is going to change the state of affairs. This is different. It causes us to come to the end of ourself. And I'm not saying God calls everyone to this place because clearly he doesn't. But if it's not you, pray for those who he may call. Be in intercession and support for those who do. Because as we said a moment ago, those in all of us, who whatever spheres or whatever spaces we're in, require such a different kind of approach and a different type of intercession at this stage, the, the word the Lord gave me the top of the year, many of you maybe have also heard something similar, but it was a specific word and phrase he gave me. And it said, now is the time, this is the hour. Now is the time, this is the hour. It doesn't matter what any of you are involved in, because it's not a specific thing. But I asked the Lord specifically, what about 2020 in this year does the entire bride and body of Christ need to be aware of and attuned to? And the word immediately came back, now is the time, this is the hour. I'd encourage you to go through the Bible and look at those places where you see the word, now is the time, or the hour has come. There's a general sense, and I'm smiling when I say this, <laughs> there's a general sense of what follows those words. If you haven't had the time lately, you might want to go camp out in Matthew 24 and 25 because they're beautiful. Uh, I'm just going to go here for just a moment with us. When we look at and reflect, remember on chapter 24, Matthew is uh, that description of destruction of the temple. It recalls some of the signs and the times that are leading up um, to what's going to happen. When you go over and you look at 25, you go back to some very, very familiar scripture again. 
but it's worth recalling, it's worth remembering, because each of those three parables within there call out something very particular to where we are. And so I think it's extremely important when we're looking at this and also starting off with this parable of 10 virgins. It's a real sense of there's that separation that clearly we recognize and we know. But I'm also trying to make the distinction here from a spiritual sense that there's a clear distinction between what is what we've thought of to be reasonable or worldly leadership versus what God is elevating or calling us to as statespersons, statesmen and stateswomen, those who are really about interceding for the bride, for the body of Christ, and for God's people. Because these are not usual times, and I don't have to spend a second longer to convince any of it, anybody of it today. When we talked about these things years ago, it was a little harder to fathom. Today, we're, we're in it, and we're watching the hand of God move and lead and shape what's actually unfolding. Another verse I want to call out to us to reflect on and look at that relates to this is found in Revelation 3, 2. So if you have your Bible, you can go over to it. Um, I have not memorized Revelation, so I apologize. But when you look at Revelation 3, 2, and talks about the church of Sardis, and it's very short, so I'm just going to read a small portion of it. But the very first couple chap uh, verses are reflective and indicative of the kind of distinction in the time we're in. Again, recalling what the Lord said at the top of the year, now is the time, this is the hour. It's reminding me of the kinds of real realities and the distinct choices that are being made between how we've lived our normal way how we've done things in past, like Isaiah 49, 48 says, do not look back to the former ways nor things of old, but behold, I'll do a new thing. We know that and we recall it and we say it because we've heard it often. But the reason I'm just highlighting a few of these scriptures is because really in the context of where we are, the blessing and the benefit of God's grace and goodness is that he's showing us, I believe, these glimpses into not only where we are, but where he's going, where he's guiding us, where he's taking us. And so if we grab a hold of it and we see it, that's the context, I believe, that God's going to use to prepare our generation, the one behind us, which is what I refer more often to remnant rising. And that context of remnant rising is those who are sensing and seeing and hearing and really praying and processing through the deep things of God and the deep pangs that the world is going through and able to enter into that space weeping as Jesus wept and entering into that place of intercession to see, Father, what would you have me to do? Because there's a very important thing that's happening. When we look at the church of Sardis, hopefully you'll see this. The very first part begins, these are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Clearly, there's a very clear distinction between the perception of how those people thought of those of us, because this is to the church, so this is, this is us. 
Where are those parts in our lives where we think we've been alive, but the Lord says you're dead? Where are the places in how we've been moving and leading and serving or working that we thought were satisfactory, but in this context, we see the Lord is calling them dead works. The part in verse two that's most critical is starts with an exclamation mark and literally says, wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember therefore what you have received and heard, hold it fast and repent. The whole part of going back through many of these things is to recognize that we're in those, we're in this pivotal moment. When I hear those words, now is the time and this is the hour. The hour is for prayer and yes, clearly repentance. Yes, a time of consecration for ourselves, but also for the bride, because the, the actual um, sense of what God is doing is bringing and drawing these things up to a place of real fruition and a place of real convergence, because we, we're just seeing the, the tension in all of these different areas. And I think that's a place where God is providing opportunities for us to really see, are we like these people of, uh, like these others who are of faith? Were we like Moses? Are we going to pray and intercede like people like Nehemiah? Are we going to have hearts like Daniel that are praying and interceding for his people? And are we repenting at that level of yes for ourselves? But I think we want to also encourage others in the body, our pastors and friends. Are we, are we taking seriously this opportunity to press in and lay hold of and take hold of the things that God wants to do and to take new ground and to break off of us the things that have been holding or hindering us from fully entering into all that God wants to release and bless this generation in the next way. And so when I think about the context, it's not sure, it's surely not looking at the word of statesmanship like Chris, we lost you there. You with us still? Hi, can you hear me? We can hear you now, yeah. Okay, great. So, um, that could have been, I'm sure, internet connection. Um, but let me pause, since I've shared some of this, and just ask if, um, if anyone has any particular questions or some thoughts. We're losing you again, my friend. Let's just open it up for um, questions right now. I'm going to just trust that Chris is going to get his internet connection back. If you want to unmute yourself and ask a question, go right ahead. Chris, you're back. We're just taking questions. Okay, great. confirm one thing, Chris, the Lord had given me a number of words, one of them being that time is short, and he said it twice, time is short, and he went on to say other things, but. Mm. 
I just, I wanted to be clear. You said it's a distinct call and a special kind of prayer. Um, and I'm wanting more information about the kind of prayer um, we should be praying. Absolutely. Well, I think there's the, the heart. That's why I mentioned in part both Nehemiah and the prayer for Daniel. Because I, when I look at those and reflect on those, uh, as well as the prayer that we see from Moses, it's, it's that kind of prayer intercession that is truly moved. I mean, Nehemiah didn't just pray and intercede. He wept for days, fasted for days. I mean, it's really, you can imagine the kind of pain and suffering that he was sensing in the spirit. And so that's just not like, I'll just use me as the example to keep it safe. That's just not how I had been praying up until the last several years. I just hadn't. But when God grabbed hold of what it is that he's doing, as Jonathan mentioned, in light of wanting to birth and bring forth these new things, I believe right now what I'm seeing and what I'm even a part of myself is literally birthing and bringing forth the new wineskin because this new wine that God wants to pour out is, is now. And the part of what John may be sharing, you could talk about another time. I'm just saying that now is the time and time is short is because I believe that there are certain release of resources and blessings and things that God wants to do to show the world, regardless of what's collapsing, regardless of debt, regardless of all of the things that are happening around that look difficult. And someone else before me was talking about fear being the opposite of love. There's a sense of wanting to grip people's hearts and minds and put them into kind of a vapor lock so you're immobilized. And yet everything that I keep seeing and hearing all around me is the extraordinary release of resources and blessing and this kind of entrepreneurial spirit of people to just create the new thing. And God's simply asking for those who are willing to say yes to him to ask for that. But at the part of the prayer to your question, Melody, is are, you, are we also both entering into it with this total surrender of heart and a, and a full submission of our will to the degree and the point that whether like Moses, like Nehemiah, like Daniel, we're literally willing to say, Lord, I so love you, honor you, obey you, trust you, that even if, and you fill in the blank, to the degree or measure of faith he gives each of us, Whatever that is, Moses's faith was, if you block, blot out my name from the book of life, so be it. But Lord, for your name's sake, save your people. Whatever it is to the fullness of the measure of faith he's given us, I'm just inviting and encouraging us more and more to fill in that blank with whatever it is and to step in and say, Lord, have your way because I'm totally surrendered, fully submitted, and I just want to be a part of birthing and helping bring forth the fullness of what you want to see to show this next generation, because that I believe is going to honor and glorify God more as he demonstrates his power in this time. While things are in utter disarray, chaotic and collapsing, I absolutely see the fullness of God raising up and birthing and bringing forth and doing miraculous things on all levels. And that's why I realized that what we've been taught in the world is leadership, formation, development. It's insufficient. 
because God's calling us to truly for once, almost as a plea in my heart, it's how I hear it. If you'd only trust me, if you'd only believe me, if you would truly see yourself like I do as my son and my daughter, you are holy, you're a royal priesthood. I love you. I have provided everything for you. And to come at this particular hour for your individual needs, your family needs, your church needs, your community needs, our national needs are extraordinary. But for us to pray into those places through the lens of our Father, believing the words that he said, and believing that what he wants to release, because now is the time, this is the hour, where the foolishness of all that we've done and everything that we've gone about and the way we've kicked things, the can down the road, are about to literally come to an end. 